Welcome to the Unfair Podcast. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Clive Horwood, the Deputy CEO and Managing Editor of OnFIF, and welcome to the first podcast of the year from our Sovereign Debt Institute. Uh, we're delighted that this focuses on the European Union's borrowing plans, and particularly as NGEU was such an important talking point and, and effectively new entrant to the market over the last 18 months. And the EU's borrowing plans remained at the forefront of people's minds throughout the year with an announcement in late December of a new move towards from a fragmented policy by policy issuance program towards a unified funding approach. So we'll discuss that and, and other issues around the NGU and EU funding with Siegfried Rule, who is the all-class advisor to the European Commission. Siegfried, welcome to the podcast. Good morning, Clive, and first of all, Happy New Year. And, and to you too, Siegfried. And thanks let's, for the opportunity let's... to talk about uh, our new funding approach. We, we will do exactly that, Siegfried. Um, let's start then with the new funding approach. Perhaps you can explain to us a little bit about the, the details of the new funding approach, why it's come to pass, and, and what does it mean, if anything, for, for the EU as a borrower? Yeah, happy to do so. Well, our new funding approach, we call it the unified funding approach, is finally a logical next step in, in what we started in 2021 when we implemented the, what we call diversified funding strategy for NGEU. The diversified funding strategy, different to the back-to-back -back funding we did in, in the past, gives us the opportunity to use a wide range of products, fund uh, our, our disbursements, and also to, from a timing perspective, to deviate here on the funding transaction from the disbursement. This was necessary to be able to manage the huge funding amounts we have under NGEU. And since then, we were running this NGEU funding under the diversified funding strategy, but other programs we have, for example, in 2022, a major role played the so-called MFA, which we used to fund support to Ukraine. They were still executed on a back-to-back -back basis. Back-to-back -back means that the funding transaction is finally determined by the disbursement, by the lending transaction in case of Ukraine. If there's agreement for a specific maturity, volume and timing of the transaction, we have to mirror this with our funding activity. This led somehow to some, from the outside, weird situations like we issued a 15-year a benchmark bond, large benchmark bond under uh, NGEU. And then afterwards, we had uh, a few days later, we had a 15-year private placement and uh, market participants not knowing about this internals of the commission were uh, somehow confused what are uh, these guys doing there. But this is just one aspect. Another more important aspect is that a consequence of this different funding approaches was that we have a fragmented curve. We have large and liquid uh, NGEU bonds, which are tapped on an ongoing basis. And we have a series of smaller bonds, which were issued on a back-to-back -back buy basis under another program. This made our curve fragmented, less transparent, pricing and, and trading more difficult. So during 2022, we prepared all internal uh, work and changed some internal rules and guidelines that we are now able all funding for all our programs under this diversified funding strategy. This means uh, that also programs like the MFA and we announced for next year 
the so-called MFA plus for Ukraine, 18 billion, will benefit from the flexibility and cost efficiency of this diversified funding strategy. It also means that in the future, we will not have any more an NGEU bond, an MFA bond, and, and whatever program-related bond. This fragmentation will stop. We will just issue EU bonds, and then we split the proceeds internally and also allocate, of course, correctly, the costs internally to the different programs. For the market, for the investor, there will be only EU bonds in the future that have the same, which are fungible. They are all backed by the uh, EU budget, so there is no difference. And uh, this will make our curve more homogeneous, more transparent pricing, trading of our curve can be easier for market participants. And in the long run, should there be any other additional program, this is, of course, a political decision, but this will also be funded in principle under this diversified funding strategy, under the new uh, unified funding approach, which will also ensure a liquid curve in the, in the long run for the EU bonds. Thanks, Siegfried. I mean, it's easy to forget sometimes that the, that the NGU and EU as a borrower is only 18 months into existence, and obviously things are going to develop. Um, obviously, a lot of this is around trying to make sure that the, the EU bonds in general are more attractive to the global investors. Um, so another, another initiative I think you've announced is around repo. It's something that I think the market has been looking for you to do for, for some time. So, so what, what, what's the announcement you've made around repo um, and what do you think that, that will uh, impact that will have on overall liquidity of, of EU bonds? Well, this initiative or this uh, switch to the unified uh, funding approach is uh, supported by, in fact, two other very concrete announcements. One is the repo uh, uh, part, and the other one is that we want to implement, together with our primary dealers, a mechanism which facilitates uh, the quoting on electronic platforms, and both are somehow linked. So um, we want to develop in the first half of 2023, together with our primary dealers, a system uh, where they are rewarded for putting quotes on electronic platforms, which will also make the pricing of our bonds more transparent and easier. And in combination to that, we will also internally, we, or we have launched a project uh, that we become an active player in the repo market to be able to serve as some kind of lender of last resort for our primary dealers who are then quoting on the bank. So it's a bit linked together. The timing, what we have in mind is that first half of the year should be used to agree with the primary dealers, to develop with the primary dealers, this voting reward mechanism, how we call it. Uh, and in the second half of the year, we want to go live with it. The repo project will take a bit more time. Uh, we are already from a legal perspective, prepared for that. Our governance allows us to hold own bonds and so on. But technically, there's a lot of work to be done on our side. And this will take a bit longer here. We expect to be ready uh, for, for being active in the repo market in 2024. But the message, therefore, to the primary dealers is that you are looking at ways to encourage them to be more active primary dealers are more active in the market. Yeah, we don't want to implement a system where it's mandatory to quote if you are a primary dealer. You know that we have a very, a very wide primary dealer group to give 
different types of banks uh, and with different size the possibility to participate uh, in our funding program. So making it mandatory would maybe exclude uh, a number of banks. It's voluntary, but if they quote, they will be rewarded for that uh, and uh, finally will increase their chances to become a lead manager of our syndicated transactions. Excellent. I'm sure they'll look forward to those discussions. Um, Siegfried, as well as the announcements that uh, the EU has made itself, the Commission has made itself, there was an announcement at the end of 22 from the ECB regarding the collateral and the collateral treatment of, of EU bonds, which I think will be another benefit to, to, to your position in the market. Could you tell us a little bit about what that is and what, what it means? Yeah, of course. By end of last year, the ECB announced the result of their review of the risk and control framework for the credit operations of the ECB. And one outcome of this review is that with effect from 29th of June 2023, our bonds, the EU debt, will be treated like sovereign bonds means we the debt will be reassigned from haircut category one to hair, from haircut category two, where we are currently uh, positioned to haircut category one, uh, where the sovereigns are positioned. This means that our debt will then benefit from lower haircuts, will be on the same level like the sovereigns for banks using our debt as a collateral versus the ECB, it means there are no additional costs. And it also means that the ECB recognizes the increased liquidity uh, of our bonds uh, in their collateral framework. So we will be uh, on the same level in the same bucket like sovereign bonds uh, in the ECB collateral framework from 2023, from the 29th of June, 2023 on. So it, it feels like these are step by step and some quite big steps towards that sort of goal of the EU, if not being legally necessary, a, a sovereign issue, being regarded by the market as a, as a sovereign issuer. Is, is, that, is that what you're hoping for? Are there other steps that you might be able to take to, to get there? Um, this is what we are working on. We are, in the meantime, the fifth largest issuer in the in euros we are if we look at the green bonds in 2022 we have been the largest green bond issuer so um, this puts us our our issuance volumes the increasing uh, outstanding debt the way how we act in the market using auctions using syndications being very transparent about our funding transactions by the announcements of our funding plans. Um, all this is very similar to what, what sovereigns are doing. Again, the volumes are uh, similar and, and larger than what we see from most of the sovereigns. Uh, so, the and finally, the money we, we raise goes to the sovereigns, be it via loans, be it via grants. So, it, it would be appropriate uh, if the if uh, the EU, which is currently seen as an issuer somewhere in between the SSA space and the EGB space, it's our objective to, to move the EU closer to the EGB space um, because this is uh, uh, more appropriate if you take into account all what I mentioned at the beginning, the volumes, the way we act in the market, and finally, who benefits from the money.
Well, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure some of the index providers will be watching closely. Um, I want to come back to um, the primary dealer group. Um, you do have a large primary dealer group. You've talked about how you want to reward them. Um, I know a lot of sovereigns across Europe at the moment are sort of like considering very closely their primary dealers, whether they're too big, they're too small. Do you think you have the right number of primary dealers at the moment and, and that the the, the, the system that you have in place, albeit that you're adapting it, as you, as you mentioned, or looking to adapt it, is, is the right one. Our approach to have low entry levels in our primary dealer group, we want to give a wide range of banks, different banks from different uh, countries, the opportunity to be part of this EU funding project. We have currently uh, around 40 banks, 42 banks in our primary dealer group, which is uh, the largest primary dealer group, uh, as far as I know. But I think it's the right number. We have all, all big investment banks in our primary dealer group, but we also give the opportunity uh, to smaller banks to participate in that group, um, which gives us a, a, a wide outreach to, to investors. Uh, especially in Europe. We have a strong domestic uh, investor base in Europe and also more domestic uh, banks, uh, we can reach then uh, these investors. So the way how is our primary dealer network is finally set up means we have low entry levels, everybody can participate, but we have also uh, some minimum requirements if you want to play a major role here. But it's we leave it up to the banks to decide which role they want to play in our primary dealer group. It's a business decision uh, how much you want to invest in this membership in the primary dealer network uh, in terms of auction participation, in terms of secondary market participation. And so it's a bank decision uh, which, which role they want to play and we, we give them all the opportunity and flexibility to be part of our our funding activities. You also, of course, um, have the, for those who are more active and, and more supportive, I suppose, throughout the year, the, the ability to reward with places on syndications. And as a as a as an early issuer, the EU has been syndicating deals more often than say established big sovereigns have. But you have said in the December announcement that you plan to do more bonds via auction, but rather than syndication. How will you judge? those decisions? Well, we always said that uh, we want to develop the auction as an issuance format. We started uh, with auctioning bonds in 2021 in September with our first bond auction. In the second half of 2022, we made the next step. We increased the auction size from around uh, 2.5 billion at the beginning, now in the area of 4 billion, and we switched to a format where we issue two bonds, so a dual bond auction. This was the next step we did here. Auctions are a very efficient uh, instrument for the issuer to issue the debt, and also they are very uh, supportive for the secondary market liquidity. They create follow-up trades when the primary dealers who bought the bonds in the auction then have to manage the position uh, distributed to the investors. So it's good for the market, also for the secondary market, if we uh, are able to develop this further. Now for 2023, we have announced uh, in, for the first half of 2023, eight auctions. 
This is due to the fact that we have uh, a higher issuance volume also. In 2022, we issued in both the first and in the second half of the year, we announced 50 billion and we issued 50 billion, another achievement that we were able to deliver on what we announced, which hopefully increases confidence in our announcements. Now we announced 80 billion for the first half of the year. We also see a market which is becoming a bit more difficult. We see, we'll see high net supply in 2023. We will see reduced ECB activities. So we also think we should adhere more flexibility in our funding activities in terms of reducing the volume per transaction and increasing the number of the transactions. We, again, by doing eight auctions, and we have also announced seven syndication windows for the first half of the year, we will be very active in both formats, and we will continue with our plans to further develop the auction as an issuance format. But we will still stick uh, to, to, to syndications and will also, the, the number of syndications shows it seven syndications, we will, uh, to a decent a degree also rely on the syndicated transactions. So, so, so it remains a lot of syndications for a so, for a sovereign issuer of, of your size. Um, one of, one of the things that at the start of the program, I think that people speculated on and 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 and, and maybe were concerned about was the coordination of, of next-gen EU and the EU as an issuer with other sovereigns and particularly possibly smaller sovereigns as well and, and you know would the would the overall impact be beneficial because of extra liquidity or would it be negative because of the possibility of crowding out obviously that the green bond part of the NGE program is incredibly successful and very very important but we have had it on for a couple of sessions recently where where smaller EU sovereigns have sort of said while they're planning to do green bonds themselves, sometimes they find it hard to find the assets that they would need to actually, you know, do the green bond because a lot of those assets are actually now being funded by by the EU. A nice problem to have, albeit still possibly a problem. How has the how has the coordination between your team um, and, and your 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 funding operations been with the other European sovereign issuers? Well, we work very well with with the other sovereign issuers and also with the other uh, supranational issuers. And finally, uh, the success of NGEU, which was prepared by a period of a bit more than six months and then started in, in, in summer 2021, they have a decent share on this success. They supported us with very uh, qualified and excellent staff. They several DMOs, seconded staff, the ESM, the EIB. So there is a, is a very good cooperation with, with all of them. And also on an ongoing basis now, since we are active in the market, for example, via the, the EFC subcommittee, the ESDM, uh, we are here in a regular contact. And also bilaterally, we are exchanging uh, views on markets. So this cooperation, coordination works, works very well. Uh, finally, they benefit uh, from from uh, NGEU and from our funding because what we raise, they don't have to raise it. Um, however, uh, it's clear that especially the, the funding we raise under NGEU, uh, NGEU is a program which is financing additional investments uh, of the member states via grants and via loans. So if there is a, a, an issue with eligible green expenditures, then this is related to what they had originally planned without NGEU and not 
what is planned under NGEU. Understood, understood. Let, let, let's just take a little step back and look at look at 2022. It's the first full year of NGU uh, funding programme. What are the main lessons that you learn and, and, and what's your view on how the global investor community has, has reacted to having you present in such force in the market? 2022, the first full year of NGEU and a year which was quite different compared to the start of NGEU and also when we started with larger funding amounts in 2020 uh, for the SURE program. The market changed significantly and uh, from this perspective we are very happy that we were able to navigate through these more difficult markets um, in a way that we, I mentioned it earlier, um, we were able to deliver what we announced. We uh, announced 100 billion funding for NGEU. We issued 100 billion for NGEU. In addition, we were able to support uh, the Ukraine with 7.2 billion. Um, and uh, we also completed in 2022 the SURE program. In December, we raised the last 6.5 billion. Now, since end of 2022, eligibility period of the SURE program uh, expired uh, out of 100 billion, uh, 98.5 billion were used. So this is quite a success story. With all our transactions in, in 2022 in a market which become uh, more challenging, all our transactions went very well. We had well-subscribed order books, usually above the average while the nip was in line with the market sometimes also on the on the tighter end of what we saw during the year in the market so our transactions went very well and here we are happy with how how we could continue the good start from 2021 in 2022 in our first full year from a market perspective the second uh, important element of 2022 is what i explained at the beginning that we were able to change our internal framework in a way that we are now in a position uh, to issue uh, these EU bonds, to switch from the program-related bonds to a general EU bond program. And uh, this is an important next step uh, for yeah, strengthening the position of the EU debt in the markets. And, and for 2023, obviously, you've already talked about a lot of initiatives that will come to fruition. But but how, how what other priorities do you have for next year? And you mentioned market conditions. We seem to be in very uncertain times at the moment. Do you think they'll continue through 2023? What, 2023, a year with record net, net supply in the public sector. At the same time, we see and expect produced activities uh, from the ECB. So it will be an interesting year. Uh, I mean, I mean, since I'm in the market, the next year is always the most challenging and the most difficult one. Uh, every time in January, it's the same. And each year has its specific challenges. But it has also, uh, challenges also mean that each year has its specific opportunities. What we see is now uh, after many, many years with low and negative rates, in 2022 rates became positive and uh, we expect uh, further uh, increasing rates in 2023. So this brings also opportunities. It will bring back uh, investors to the market. It will attract new investors. So it will be uh, the opportunity to further uh, widen and diversify 
the investor base. Our large funding volumes in 2023, the 80 billion we announced for the first half uh, will allow us to further develop our curve, to strengthen the liquidity in our curve, to strengthen our positioning in the curve. So there will also be a lot of opportunities in 2023. And with all the announcements we made, what we are implementing, with all the feedback we get from, from banks, from investors, which is very, very, very positive, we are uh, very optimistic uh, for 2023. Well, thank you, Siegfried. Um, congratulations on 2022. Good luck for 2023. Certainly from Omphis' point of view, we were very proud to play a very minor role in your story in 2022 by, by taking you and the commission to, to Singapore to meet investors from Asia. And uh, that was a very proud moment for us at Onfif to be able to be part of, uh, of that particular event. So uh, good luck in 2023. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. The next, uh, the next uh, event for the Sovereign Debt Institute will be on January the 26th. We are uh, publishing the results of a survey of the leading sovereign supranational and agency issues around the world about their plans and thoughts and, and challenges for 2023. Um, a part of that will be how to incentivize primary dealers. So we look forward to you joining us at that event um, and wish you a healthy start to 2023. And once again, Siegfried, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Claire. Thank you for listening to the Omfif podcast.